Welcome to the Journey Through Life podcast. This is Justin Barton, the host of this podcast, and I'm really excited today to be able to release this episode um, of this conversation with Mary Cook. Mary Cook is the founder and host and a blogger of This Indulgent Life. Um, I invite you to go check out her podcast, her blog, um, just look it up at This Indulgent Life. I will include some links to it in the show notes. Mary is also an expat who currently lives with her husband and two-year-old son in Hong Kong, where all of the political upheaval is going on over the last couple of months. This podcast was recorded uh, just in the second week of those upri uh, uprisings and that unrest. There had only been a couple of demonstrations at that point, and now we have daily demonstrations going on and all sorts of scary things happening there. So I hope that everything is going well as she is planning her um, next step in her own journey. Now, before we get too far along, I want to make sure to acknowledge our partner, A Life Untold, and I am really grateful that they are our partner. If you or anyone you know has a life story that you want to share and get down on in a hardbound book, A Life Untold is the, is the product for you. They're fantastic. They provide an outline wherein you are interviewed by either online questions or you can have a live interview from one of their biographers ask you questions about your life, some of the more important things, some of the more important experiences and hinge pin moments in your life. And then when the interview is done and you submit everything, including pictures and, and whatnot, they then compile that into a hardbound book and ship it directly to your door. It's a, an heirloom, a legacy that is left for your family, your grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and on down the line for generations to come. Their mission is so similar to the Journey Through Life mission where we have conversations with ordinary people with extraordinary stories in order to create sort of a legacy so that our children and great-grandchildren and, and so on have the opportunity to hear in our own voice the things that are most important to us. Some of those experiences in our lives that uh, have made a difference in our lives and brought us to where we are today and where we hope to go in the future. So back to A Life Untold, in order to get this service and this product going, please go to alifeuntold.com and check out the different products and choose the one that's best for you. And then upon checkout, please use the promo code JUSTIN, J-U-S-T-I-N, to save 10% on this awesome product and service. Now, before we get started with this um, conversation with Mary Cook, Please go and subscribe to this podcast in whatever service you're listening to this on, if you have not already subscribed to it. Also, go check us out on Facebook and Instagram. We're found at um, we're found there at JTL Podcast, JTL for Journey Through Life. Like us, follow us, give us any comments that you may have, and if you or anyone you know has. A, some extraordinary stories to tell about your life, some things that have meant a lot to you that you wish to share with me and with the listening audience of the Journey Through Life podcast, I would love to sit down with you and have a conversation similar to this one like I had with Mary. Um, 
what you'll do is you can either go to our website, jtlpod.com. That's www.jtlpod.com. And go to our, the Contact Us page and uh, let me know there. Or you can email me directly at thejtlpodcast at gmail.com. And we can get things set up right away. Now, on to this discussion and conversation with Mary Cook. Um, I've entitled it, Trust Your Intuition. And I think as we go along through this conversation, you will see several instances in her life where that um, concept was quite meaningful to her. And then in the end, she shares why it should be very meaningful to each of us in the listening audience. Here we go with Mary Cook from This Indulgent Life. Trust your intuition. Mary, tell me where you come from. Where, tell me about your your childhood home life. Oh, childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was born a Navy brat. So my parents were both corpsmen in the Navy, and we, I was born in Connecticut, um, and then we moved around a couple of times, and the last base I remember being on was the Marine, Bra- uh, the Marine base in North Carolina, uh, and then my dad hurt himself and had back surgery and got out of the Navy. So at that point, they... My mom didn't want to drag us around, so she also got out of the Navy. And life got kind of difficult for them financially, so we moved in with my grandmother in Florida. And I spent most of my childhood in Florida. Hmm. Uh, did not appreciate it at the time. Hmm. <laughs> now I now I can appreciate uh, the brilliance that is Florida, but back then I, I didn't really. Hmm. So, so what kind of influence did your grand, your grandmother, you said it was, mm-hmm. what kind of influence did she have on you and your childhood and how old were you when you moved in there? I was, let's see, probably about six turning seven when I moved there, man, my grandmother, she, she was a little bit of everything. She was kind of like religious fanatic mixed with adventurous soul mixed with like post-depression gotta save everything Mm. she just she was the first person to really have any kind of not a full college education but the first one to really kind of go to college and the only one out of pretty much any of my family that did Mm. she was a teacher and so she kind of inspired me to do that um i just i remember i learned I learned how to handle her is how, Mm. (laughs) because she could be quite abrasive and a lot of my family didn't quite understand her. They didn't understand how to, to handle maybe her upset or her way of thinking. And I don't know, maybe because I was an only child for 10 years, but I just, I learned how to talk to adults and for her, I was just always able to kind of not not make anything out of it the way that maybe some of the adults in my family did. So we got along pretty well. Um, she would have this class B camper and she would take my cousins and I camping and to like the beach. And I definitely think even though not everything was great with her and there's a lot of things that uh, fundamentally, I don't really or 
student, she's gone now, didn't really agree with her. Um, she did have a big influence in my adventurous side. I am a teacher now, so she definitely influenced that. I used to actually, I'd have to go from elementary school and nobody would be home because she'd still be teaching. And I would have to take the bus, drop everybody else off, and then the bus would go to the high school to pick up the high school kids where my grandmother was. So then I'd get off there. And I would go, and there was this table, like a card table next to her desk. And I would just go and I'd sit under the card table and like do my homework or read my book while she was teaching her class. And it's not something you would, I mean, it was only the last like 20 minutes of class, but you know, it was just one of those little special memories that you don't really think about today. No, that's, that's really neat. So what were some of the, you mentioned some of the idiosyncratic, maybe ways that she had of thinking that many people didn't understand that you kind of did, or at least you got to um, handle. Tell me a little bit about those. So there's a couple different, for one, she's just, and maybe, maybe I get this from her too, very opinionated. Uh, (laughs) She grew up in a very well-to-do family, but didn't stay Mm -hmm. well-to-do. So she, she kind of had that background of having some wealth, but, not at the same time. She also had to go through struggles. My grandfather, I never met. Uh, he died six months before I was born. And him and my uncle both went through polio at the same time. So wow. she she had gone through a lot. She was the oldest child and had to take care of two younger siblings. Her mom put a lot of pressure on her. And so I think she just had these mannerisms of survival in a way you know, like emotionally. And so she had a lot of emotional barriers and then she did grow up post-depression. So there's a lot of got to save everything. Mm-hmm. She, she would try to like wash aluminum foil oh, or, wow. so, uh, there's, <laughs> you know, it was difficult for my mom because, you know, two very stubborn, opinionated, strong women in one household <laughs> difficult. So was this your mom's mom or was your mom, her daughter? My father's yeah. Father's mom. So it was her daughter-in-law. So that would make it a little bit tough there with that. Uh, yeah. Totally different cultures. And hmm. so what type of culture, tell me about the culture of your mom and your dad. What, I mean, you said totally different cultures. Let's, let's, let's get it, dig in there a little bit. Well, my mom is from a teeny tiny little town in Pennsylvania. We're pretty much the same. Like it looks the same now as it did, you know, 50 years ago almost. And she grew up in a divorced family as the youngest of four. And pretty much she she was a baby and she knew how to work it. And she'll tell you that. Mm. She, she grew up very... There wasn't a lot of emotional support there. So she, she kind of learned how to manipulate the system to kind of get what she wanted. And she had a lot of growing up to do. And so when we moved in with her, she was still working through a lot of that herself. My grandmother, on the other hand, had been taking care of you know, everybody for so long hmm. and was very much used to her way of doing things. Um, she was born in Maine and and then lived in Massachusetts and then raised her family in Florida. Hmm. So definitely more of a 
open culture, I guess. My mom was a new Christian. My grandmother was a steadfast, fanatical kind of Christian. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of pushback there. My mom trying to learn her way and then my grandmother wanting things her way. Mm. Uh, I'm sure looking back at it now, I'm sure my grandmother had a lot to say on parenting and, <laughs> you know, how I was being raised. Because a lot of the things changed when we moved in with her. So yeah, that that would be very difficult. I I'm I'm just picturing, you know, me and my wife and my kids moving in with my parents. So I totally totally see how that could be difficult, especially with a kid um, involved. You said you were an only child. Is that is that what you said? Yeah, I was an only child for ten years. For ten, so so someone someone came along ten years later. Yeah, my little brother, he's 10 years younger than I am. Tell me about so your life. Go ahead. Oh, no, it was just, you know, one of the things, uh, I guess one of the stories that I can tell that kind of really creates the painless picture of the dynamics is my grandmother um, came home one day and was freaking out that my mother had threw away mayonnaise. Mm. And my mom had thrown away mayonnaise because it had gone bad and was smelling the whole fridge. And so she had gone, purchased two new jars, put those in the fridge and threw away the other one. And my grandmother freaked out and actually took it out of the trash can and put it back in the fridge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those, those, it's one of those symptoms of always trying to save money. Mm-hmm. Um but it shows you the power struggle that must have been. It's just one of the examples that as an adult, I can now see there probably was so many power struggles between the two of them um, that you just don't realize when you're a kid. Right. So, so um, at this point in your life, as you look back at things, how has that experience affected the way that you strive to have your relationship with your own mother and your mother-in-law has that has that uh had an influence on that oh um so i'm about to move in with my mother-in-law here we go (laughs) my only child yes i think i've just learned to state my my belief or my way of like this is how i'm doing things Mm -hmm. and then just not accept not necessarily, it's not even feedback because what happens is, because actually my mother-in-law is probably a little similar. Um, they, they're raised in a small town and they have their ways of doing things. And I'm from a completely different culture. I'm more of a Northern culture, whereas they're very Southern. Mm-hmm. And they, they like to remember, and my mother's the same way, they like to remember things a certain way of how they raised kids. <laughs> I get that. They, um, so they'll be like when my son was four months old. So at this point, keep in mind, I've only seen my mother-in-law twice since I've had my son. So we've had a lot of time for me to be mom without having the input. But even when he was four months old, they're like, well, why isn't he drinking water? (laughs) Or why isn't he eating cereal? You know, and it's like, because he doesn't eat it. Mm -hmm. And they will try and act like I must know better because I like to read books or I, I learn everything from books. You know, that's like the things that they say, well, she, she's, they're raising them from books these days. And mm-hmm. um, so I know that there's going to be that involved, but I also just have learned to be firm 
and then and then just leave it and not accept arguments. Mm -hmm. And I think I did learn that from my grandmother because that's how I had to be with her as well. Is just no grandma, this is how I'm doing it, and that's it. Like Mm -hmm. is no argument to be had. I've made my decision. So so how do you feel that will go over? How will you keep the peace in that home while you're (laughs) that is the the age old question. Um trying to be out of the house as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're actually restoring an airstream. So we, mm-hmm. we really will need to be out of the house quite a bit so that we can do that. I'm not completely certain how things are going to go down. Mm-hmm. It is a concern for sure. Yeah. Um, I've been trying to think on it, but I think, I, I mean, I have to be true to myself and I have to be true to my parenting beliefs. And that may hurt some feelings. Um, I know it's hurt my mother's feelings. But at the end of the day, my responsibility is to my child and not my parents or in-laws. You know, they've had a chance. If they can believe whatever they want to believe, but at the end of the day, I'm responsible for my son's upbringing, not them. Right. So, So you mentioned earlier that let's see your mother was more of a new christian your grandmother was more of an old school south christian what is your faith foundation where do you, where do you where do you land with that and what does your faith journey look like um well i mean i was always raised in it so that and for me it is a very personal thing i am a christian i i work at a christian international school mm-hmm. um i feel like i'm more um midline I'm not fanatical <laughs> I don't I don't believe in legalism okay. uh pretty much so for me God is love and God is grace and mercy and he's there to help guide us and he's there for us you know to to walk alongside us and he has done amazing things in my life and it I, I love learning about religion. I would take every religious class I could. You know, I love learning about different kinds of religions and, and experiencing them and, and whatnot. But it doesn't change my own religion. I feel like it only enhances it. It only proves for me, it only proves to me that that God is God. Yeah. So so if you don't mind, share, share one of those experiences. You said, you know, God has, has done so much in my life. Share one of those experiences that just sticks out where you absolutely, absolutely are convinced that the hand of God has put you in a certain situation or brought you to a certain place that, that helped you learn and grow. Um, oh, goodness. I hope I don't get emotional on this. It's okay. Um, I was previously in, a, in an abusive marriage. Um, there was a lot going on. He was very manipulative and he was committing lots of adultery. And I was just trying to like hold on and do what I had to do and, and, and be that quote unquote big Christian, you know, wife that, that kept trying. Um, but then of course it did eventually come to an end, thank God. And I had nothing. My ex-husband had taken all of my savings and had put us into an apartment that I couldn't afford, had just moved us there. I 
had just gotten my teaching certificate and school wasn't back in session yet. So I had no job at the time except for working at a daycare, which could not have afforded that place. And so literally overnight, I was going to be homeless. Mm. Um, but God had kind of put things in place that I, I had put it up on a site when I had first moved to the, I had moved to Charleston, South Carolina and I had put up, okay, babysitting because I needed to make money. Um, so I set up, okay, I can do some babysitting. And <laughs> sorry. Um, I met this family and had worked for them like once or twice, their toddler. And when this went down, they took me into their home. Mm. They had only met me a couple times, um, but they, they heard what was happening and they took me into their home. They let me use some of their storage shed for some of my stuff. They came and got me, you know, like it wasn't the end all be all situation. It didn't end the best necessarily, mm-hmm. but it, it was there when I needed it. And God made sure that when I needed help, I got help. Wow. How old were you at that point? So 23. Okay. So you were pretty young and, and didn't, uh, you really didn't have even the experience to land on your feet at that point if you had to and needed to have that cushion. Oh, and I had no one. My my ex-husband had taken me away from everything that I, I knew. And, I, you know, generally that's fine. I'm, I'm a traveler. Mm-hmm. I had traveled overseas by myself and, and whatnot. But when you're in that kind of situation where you've essentially been brainwashed and your life is turned upside down. There was, there was no one. Uh, my friends had even started turning their backs because they couldn't understand. Mm -hmm. It was hard being in that kind of situation when all of the people in your age group aren't even at the like marriage stage. Right. So with that experience of, you know, even your friends kind of backing away because they didn't understand how has that made you a, 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 a more, I don't know, empathetic person maybe, or maybe uh, a more understanding when people are in trials type person? Hmm. Well, I'll tell you what, I definitely don't look at women now and go, why are you staying? Because Hmm. prior to that, I mean, I grew up a very strong, independent woman. And even though my mom had, my mother had also, not to the same kind, but there was, there was some, my father he had been injured again and he was on disability and he was on medication and he claims that he has no idea what happened mm. for like two or three years. He, he just doesn't even remember. And there was abuse that went on there as well before my parents got divorced. Mm. And I just remember donating things to the women's shelter and going, why do these women, why, why did they put up with this? Why don't you just get out? Just get out. But until you've been through it, you just don't understand. You just, you can't understand the level of manipulation and heart and everything that goes into it to get you to that point. Because it doesn't happen overnight. It's not like it's just, you know, you meet them and then just like that, right? Hmm. So now when women are going through these kinds of things, because it happens a lot, mm-hmm. um, especially in mom groups and things online, people are going through a lot of these same things. 
And so I'm, I'm able to be more empathetic and be like, you're not insane. You didn't bring this on yourself. Mm. You know, like this isn't something that you've done to yourself. This is something that has happened because usually you're a very caring, kind person and you try to give people the benefit of the doubt. It, it, you have a kind heart and people take advantage. Mm. And just trying to help them through that kind of mental shift. So from your own experience, how have you, I'm, I'm sure that there were walls that were built, walls of protection and of, you know, and there still are. <laughs> stay off. Yeah. How, yeah, and there still are, I'm sure. And I'm sure it is very difficult to, to even start taking those down brick by brick. But how did you get to a place? I mean, you're, I'm assuming you're married again. Is that correct? Yeah. How did you get to a place where you could trust and move forward again? You know, some days I wonder if I have, I, for one, I was to, you know, a lot of people will go from one relationship to the next. They just want to move on with their lives. And, you know, I completely understand. But for me, I wanted to make sure that I was remembering who I was again. And so I had, not only would I not date until I was divorced, and in South Carolina, you have to wait a long time. And there's a long story that goes with that. But I wanted at least six months after my divorce was finalized. Mm. So I, I purposely waited. I got myself together. I got my life mostly as much as could be together, you know, before I took that next step. And then I just tried. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just, I'm yeah. So how did you, what kinds of steps did you take to get yourself kind of back together? I uh, got myself a full-time teaching job and that was through my divorce. So that was <laughs> your first year teaching, being hired late in the school year mm. <laughs> and going through a very messy mind numbing divorce. That was really, really rough. Um, but I, I found a group of friends, new friends that just kind of, they were married. So they kind of, you know, and they were married to military men, which is what my ex was. So they could understand a little bit there as well. And they just were so supportive at the time. And uh, they pushed me out of my comfort zone quite a bit. And so it was just really good to have that time with just friends and just have fun just have fun again you know so i want to stay here for just one more question i think and then we'll move to a different (laughs) different uh part here so now if somebody came to you in a very similar situation that you were in what did you take from that new group of friends that, that pushed you that you would that you would incorporate into helping that next person and what advice would you give that next person Learn to trust yourself again. It really, if you can learn to trust your instincts again and just take the next step, just one little baby step, really, it's just figuring out that you are still worth it and you are still intelligent and you are, you know, you still have some worth. And and just learning that 
you know what? Life is going to happen. I'm going to move forward and I'm not going to let this hold me back. And I'm not going to let him hold me back anymore. Mm-hmm. And find yourself a group of people that will rally around you and just, you know, <laughs> threaten to put him in the <laughs> bumpers, you know, mm-hmm. just, um, just really be there to make you laugh and have some fun. Cause really what you need sometimes is just to have some fun again. Well, thank you for sharing that. That that's um, a personal and and trying part of your life, and I appreciate you being willing to share that with me. You you referred a few times to um, the fact that you're kind of a traveler. You're you're a I don't know if this is the right word a wanderer, but enjoy experiencing new places and new things. Tell me where that came from, and, and kind of how that has developed throughout your life. I guess I blame my parents. <laughs> I mean, I was a Navy brat for the first six years of my life. So there was a few different bases and and things that had happened uh, in that time. So it's kind of ingrained from there. And then next, I blame books. I mean, I loved reading as a kid. Uh, Reading was probably partially an escape Mm -hmm. from family life, but it had so many adventures. So many different kinds of adventures, so many different places to go, and I wanted to see them. So I always, from the time I was a little kid, I always knew I was traveling. And then I blamed Disney. <laughs> you know, growing up in Florida, we would go to Epcot, and you know, Epcot, for those who don't know, is literally a theme park around different countries and different cultures. And so, right here, Mary's two-year-old son woke up so we took a little break from the conversation and we get right back to it right now so you were talking about epcot being a place with all sorts you know built around a whole bunch of countries uh yeah so we used to go and my favorite part was uh morocco and you would go in and they have you know moroccans and they would have drumming and dancing and that just always intrigued me um and so yeah books and disney I blame them. So, so have you made it to Morocco? No, <laughs> not yet, huh? Not yet. Close, but not quite. Yeah. So, where was your first travel des- destination? I guess that that you um, would count as your first, you know, adventure. Well, I grew up camping, so we did a lot of, you know, back and forth to grandparents and whatnot. But my first like adventure for me was. England and Iceland on a mission trip. Uh, I was 14 and I went on a mission trip and we did the English canals on canal boats. And then we went to Iceland and helped rebuild um, like a little church there. Hmm. Iceland is on my bucket list. I want to get to Iceland so bad. (laughs) It's so, so pretty. But it's like I was there in July and even then you'd be like huddled all together under jackets one minute and then it's like, sunny and warm the next <laughs> wow just the the change of weather is really fast and drastic huh yeah well very good so where, where are some other places that you have traveled and some experiences you've had in those travels that have maybe been a, a hinge pin moment in your life or you know have helped guide who you are travel in general opens your mind and I traveled in college, so I traveled throughout different countries in Europe. 
and I stayed in hostels. And you meet some amazing people in hostels. And it just, again, opens your, your mind to new possibilities and new cultures and new ideas. It, it's really hard to close your mind off to things when you are inundated with new ideas all the time. And there were just some really hard moments. And once I was in Greece, uh, actually Greece was pretty hard in general. I had lost my, I accidentally lose. I accidentally left my jacket with all my money and my credit cards and my passport <laughs> in the airport. Mm. And I didn't know until I had gotten to the hotel I was supposed to stay at. And you grow up real fast learning how to deal with all of that. But again, like just God came through and I, I didn't get my cash back, but I got everything else back mm. and moved on, explored. I was doing all of this by myself. I didn't have anybody with me at the time. Um, and I was supposed to go and do this. They have these like homestay things where you can like couch surf. And I was supposed to go and couch surf somewhere. And it said Paros, uh, P-A-R-O-S. I didn't know, though. I only knew the one Paros, the island of Paros. So I went there. Mm. Turns mm. out that's not where I was supposed to go. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> there was a city Paros in the north of Greece. So I had to find a place to stay and wait. And, you know, the next day wait for the ferry to go back. And you just kind of have to grow up and learn how to problem solve, you know, when you're traveling and that those kinds of things happen in a different language, even, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, and then, um, now I'm in Hong Kong Mm. and I've been here for four and a half years and that is a completely different kind of ball game altogether as well. So in four and a half years, you have probably in, in Hong Kong, you've experienced a lot of, I'm assuming from what I read and hear and see a lot of shift in the political environment there, haven't you, over four and a half years? Um, I don't know if I've personally experienced the shift, but I am seeing the effects. Um, As of recording this, we've just had two Sundays and one Wednesday of protests, Mm. Um, massive, massive amounts of protests. I did not go. I would have too much anxiety. Mm. There were almost 2 million people at the last one, but it was peaceful. People here, it's very, very interesting. I, I wrote a post on it on my Instagram too. There's this whole concept here of saving face. You do not talk back to your employers. You do not question them. You are literally just, you know, messengers and robots. And you just do what you're supposed to do and don't think outside the box. It's one of the like most frustrating things about living here is that if it's not exactly how they want it to be, there's no thinking outside. There's no, okay, well, let's just make this happen type thing. Um, like I needed a document like notarized, mm-hmm. but because I didn't have the cover page with me, they wouldn't let me get the document that I had written all out, everything notarized. Wow. So annoying. But when it comes to their, their rights, their freedoms, and not wanting to be a part of China, 
they speak out. And they, they, they have been such an amazing example of peaceful protest. Um, I'm really, really proud of my, my temporary home. Huh. So what do you see possibly happening over the next little while because of these protests? Do you think it's going to bear fruit? And tell me what their thoughts are on what they're protesting for. So for those who don't know, and I don't know when this is going out, they're protesting because the government rushed into putting through this extradition bill. Because right now, we only have extradition treaties with people or with countries that have a somewhat decent legal system, you know, or an actual real legal system. Right. Um, and this bill would make it that they would basically be able to send anybody to China mm-hmm. if China said that they had broken some kind of law. Mm-hmm. And with the laws in China, you don't actually have to have ever stepped foot in China to be accused of breaking one of their laws. Mm. So there's a lot of gray areas. And if you go to jail in China, you could never be seen from again. There is no like, yeah. you know, how in the U.S. you you have the right to a speedy trial. There is yes. no such thing. Right. So the people here are very worried that China will use this new bill, this new law to just take political dissidents. So people who are not for rejoining with China, who are not pro-government and they will uh, get Hong Kong to send them to China. And and it's a very real concern because about two or three years ago, there were actually a couple of bookstore owners and these bookstore, the bookstore itself was all about like anti-China propaganda stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And they had just up and disappeared and nobody knew what had happened to them. And then all of a sudden one of them shows up on TV saying, Oh, he turned himself into China. Uh Yeah. And things. So it's, it's, there's a lot of, fear Mm. over the Chinese government coming and taking them. And are there a lot of expats that, uh, like yourself, for example, who are um, concerned about that in your own, in your own life? Yeah, I would say probably less than locals. Okay. um, Because obviously they, they have nowhere else to go, right? Mm -hmm. We can leave. (laughs) Uh, And we have a whole separate, government that could potentially step in for us. But yeah. China, you know, everything's kind of off the books there. So it is definitely a concern. So the locals, um, Hong Kong residents, are there restrictions on their travel at this point? To China? No. Not, not to China, uh, but I mean, not- say they wanted to go to Australia or the Philippines or the United States. No more than it would be for anyone else from a, for example, I have friends here who are native Indian, Mm -hmm. like from India, and they gave up their Indian citizenship to become Hong Kong citizens Mm. because they have much better travel rights. Mm. Okay. Okay. So no, they're, they're considered pretty free and open market here. So they're accepted most places. 
Okay. So what took you to, to, to Hong Kong and what is taking you away from Hong Kong? <laughs> uh, so four and a half years ago, we were struggling financially and I was growing a photography business, but it wasn't really at the speed that we needed it to be. I couldn't get a teaching job because, you know, interstate requirements, you know, always change. Mm -hmm. And I needed out of the small town. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had been there for like four or five years and I just needed a change really bad. <laughs> so I told my husband that I was dying inside because mm -hmm. it literally felt like my soul was dying. And I had learned, I don't even know how, but I had learned that you could be a teacher abroad. And I thought that was always for like, you know, young single people. I didn't realize that families could actually do this. Mm. And so once I learned that families could do it, we within, I think, I think we started applying for places late October and I had a job lined up by the end of December and we were in Hong Kong by mid-January. Wow. Awesome. And is your husband also a teacher there or? No, he, he just kind of followed. Okay. <laughs> he didn't have, you know, anything either. Mm -hmm. So it was a change for both of us, a change for us to kind of make our own way. Uh, oh, and the reason we're going back now is because we have a two-year-old and family wants to see him, and I want to travel more. I've learned I have a four-year itch. I okay. I need change after four years. <laughs> yeah. So where are you heading so, back to? Oh, we're heading back to South Carolina, so that same small town. Okay. But we are restoring a vintage Airstream so that we can then travel. Awesome. What What does that look like to you when that Airstream is restored? What does that travel look like? Still figuring it out, and we'll probably play around with different um, paces of travel, but probably a couple weeks in one place, and then we'll explore that area. Uh, we'll be working as well. You know, I have an online coaching, and then my husband is going to go to RV Tech School. Hmm. Uh, and just spending time together as a family and seeing new places and just having more more downtime hmm. and, and less hustle and bustle of everyday life. Well, very neat. What, what do you think your son, who's now two, you mentioned, um, will gain? What, what lessons will he learn in his life as he is able to go through that? Well, I'm hoping that even from living here and then as we travel, I'm hoping he just meets lots of different kinds of people so he can really develop empathy and compassion as well as have an open mind and listen to people and listen to their needs um, and not be so stuck in just one idea. I'm hoping that he has an adventurous soul as well and that he learns how to problem solve and make his own way and realize that, you know, just because society says things have to be one way, it doesn't make it true. No, that's, I think that's really a neat opportunity that he'll have to experience those things. What, what is the timeline for getting the, the, the Airstream restored? What's the goal on that? Ambitiously six months, realistically, probably nine months to a year. Hmm. I'm, I'm going ambitiously though. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to, you're going to work really hard to make that ambition 
be as close we're, to we're trying. as short as yeah. possible. No, I totally get that. That's uh, uh would motivate me to say, okay, my next goal is to get on the road with this thing and I'm going to make it happen as quickly as possible. There are still a lot of guilt or there is still a lot of guilt. At first I was like so gung ho about doing all of this and, and for sure there's so many opportunities my son is going to have. But lately I have been like, so <laughs> feeling so guilty of the things he's losing. Mm. Uh, living here, we have the opportunity to hire a domestic helper from the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And so he gets a lot of one-on-one time with her. And then at night, because she's doing the cleaning, I get one-on-one time with him. Mm. Uh, he goes and plays with kids, you know, local Hong Kong kids and all the time. He goes to a little cafe and like helps make dough and precious cookies for them and all these little, little things that you, you can't really get in the state. Right. Um, I'm hoping that I can still keep up these cultural and hands-on learning opportunities for him. What opportunities will he have though? moving forward with with that i mean you'll get to know grandparents a little bit there a little bit better there and then um, what other opportunities do you foresee for him and for you and your husband as, as you do that i want him to have more time outside um he loves being outside and he does get that here but there's very limited natural avenues for him um the old people like to tell him not to play in dirt a lot. So, you know, getting messy is really, you know, a thing here. Mm -hmm. So I really want him to just kind of be able to explore nature more, Mm. get out in some water. You know, we have, we live in a very tiny fishing village right now, which allows him a lot more freedom than if we had lived in the city. Mm. Like I have an extremely long commute, but he gets, the beach and small town life. But I'm just hoping as we travel, he gets to, we get to see new museums. So he'll see art, he'll see science. He'll, you know, be able to play with different kinds of kids and just attend more kinds of events, like library events and mm. things like that. So there's just more opportunities, like even going and picking strawberries or apples mm. or pumpkins. Yeah. You know, all those little, little traditions that we can't really have here. Right. That's really cool. And and I am, well, somewhat jealous of, of the opportunities that lay in front of you. I think that would be really neat. Tell me a little bit about what you are working on now. You mentioned that you have a podcast yourself. Tell, tell us a little bit about that and what, what that means to you and what you are, what your message is you're trying to get out. So I have a podcast called This Indulgence Life, and it's based off of my blog that has kind of like gone always back and forth. Uh, it started as trying to get myself out and have more adventures, even before we had kids. And then when I had my son, I was learning all of these things about parenting, and I was having some major like mind shifts. And so I restarted it, and then it also went back to travel. So I really kind of mesh these two ideas together. And I've realized that my mission is like, and even when I had photography business, it was always like this. It's about bringing families together 
And I believe that the best way to bring families together is having experiences together and creating these memories. So my podcast is a lot about family travel, uh, people who are full-time travelers around the world, RVers, people who just have one road trip a year mm-hmm. or just, you know, even staycations. And and then I'm also doing some like parenting things as well, as well in there around having experiences together and, and forming deeper connections. So I... I love it, especially when I get to do interviews. They're so much fun. And when you're an adventurer and you get around other adventurers, it just oh, it lights up the room. Yeah. <laughs> just a lot of interesting conversations. It's really neat. Thanks for sharing that. And it's called This Indulgent Life, correct? Yeah. Well, very good. So, and I just want to ask a couple more kind of wrap-up questions that dig into what you hope to leave as a legacy. I mean, you've got a long life ahead of you, but let's jump down the road 50, 80, 100 years from now and your great-grandchildren stumble across this, hey, there's great-great-grandma Mary. I mean, what uh, what does she have to say to me? So, so what are some words of wisdom or some um, advice that you would love to leave to your great-grandchildren? I want to leave an adventurous spirit. Um, just getting out and exploring and just taking it in. I, I would hope that everyone in my family down the line just explores something. And, you know, it doesn't even have to be big, but it's just open to new ideas and open to observing people and understanding people. And then I want them to take that into their own families. And I want them to make, I I really, really want them to have experiences as a family so that they can form those secure attachments that will lead them through into teenage years and adult years that I think maybe because like I said, my grandmother even did that with me. That's the one thing that I really remember of my family. Uh, the one positives, right, is those camping trips together or uh, going somewhere together that those stick out. And I really believe that when families try new, it doesn't even have to be like a big camping trip or a big trip around the world, but even just trying a new recipe together or you know, making ice cream in a bag with ice or something, (laughs) you know, just something fun, just having fun together and trying new things, putting down the devices, putting away work and just being there together. That is what's going to create a family culture that stays together. And that will then carry forth and create calmer, more peaceful, more open-minded kids for generations to come. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic um, advice and words of wisdom to to hear. What is, I mean, in addition to f- bringing families together through these experiences, what is a, a, another cause maybe that you defend with a passion, something that you feel very strongly about as an individual cause? Ooh. I would say sometimes changes, like as far as maybe level of passion will change depending on the part of life stage I'm personally in. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so for example, when I got out of my abusive marriage, I was gung-ho about trying to support those women, trying to find shelters to help, things like that. Right now, I am pretty passionate about gentle and respectful parenting. I was not raised that way. And I see a lot of, I mean, technically, I mean, people think I turned out fine. Uh, mm-hmm. On the outward social side, it sure does appear that way. But then when you look in emotionally, I'm realizing all of the the issues that have come up from that and a lot of the mental blocks that I've had and had to overcome myself. So I'm really passionate about not doing that to my kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll screw up in a different way. I'm mm-hmm. sure I will, but yeah. it'll be a different, it's my way. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be my mess up, dang it. <laughs> exactly. Fix one thing, mess up something else. And and so I think it's just depending on my life stage, really just kind of my passion. So before my son, I was really passionate. And I, I still am. Um, but because I'm leaving teaching itself, it's not as big in my mind. Child-led learning. Mm-hmm. I came upon this concept of child-led learning, democratic schools, unschooling, and all these kinds of things. Uh, a few years ago and has blown my mind researching that and really learning about child development and how uh, education could be changed to better fit most children. Oh, that's really interesting. Two more questions, unless something comes up here from that. With all other things being equal, what is the most important thing? Ooh, that's hard. God is definitely most important. And then after that, I would probably say my work in raising my son. God and family, basically, huh? Yeah. Very good. And what does it mean to you to be human? Ooh, pushing yourself. Hmm. Not settling for the status quo. Not staying comfortable, but but getting outside of yourself and and experimenting and exploring. I, I don't think humans, I mean, if you look back at our ancestors and whatnot, we wouldn't be where we are today if they just got comfortable around their campfire and, you know, stayed there. So I think it really is about exploring and experimenting and just moving forward and pushing yourself to be better. Hmm. Oh, I like that. I like that. So so one of my main goals in doing this and conversing with others is for me, it's selfish. I want to gain knowledge and wisdom from your experiences because I don't want to go through the same stuff. I just want to learn it without having to experience <laughs> it. You know? But uh, any other words of wisdom that you have for me here? I've said it before when we were talking about getting out of domestic violence. I feel it's true for everyone and especially women because they they do tend to have this innate intuition that a lot of times they've been taught to ignore and it's just literally that trust your intuition learn to trust your instincts you have them for a reason and they're really powerful if you will just listen to them and so when it comes to parenting or jobs, you know, relationships, if you can tap into and learn how to trust your intuition, 
you'll probably find a smoother, a smoother life. I mean, you know, not completely smooth, but smoother than if you fought it. <laughs> mm. Well, thank you, Mary. Um, I hope that this conversation has been enjoyable and maybe helped you see <laughs> a little bit more of your own worth. I mean, you bring great value into life of your, your family, your, your community that you, that you work with through your podcast and your blog and everything. And I, I hope that, uh, that you continue to see that and continue to magnify that throughout all, all of your life. Well, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that having one of those days. So <laughs> it's nice to hear. Well, there you have it. That was a, an enjoyable conversation with Mary Cook. The way she got a hold of me was she reached out through Facebook and said, Hey, I think I have a story to tell. Would you be willing to have this conversation with me? That was my first um, person reaching out and not me reaching out to them that, uh, that I've had so far. And I think it was a good conversation. So, as you can see, others have done it. Now it's broken the ice. If you're somebody who has listened to these and said, man, I'd love to get on there and tell my story, someone else has done it already. You can reach out too. Um, now, as in the past, as in the past several episodes, minus the one that was most recently released, I have a in-their-own-words story. This is another one that was written by my grandfather, Clyde Taylor Higginson. And this one is entitled... A Pig Story at Weedy Acres. Now, Weedy Acres is the uh, family farm that my mom was born on and that the family lived on for a handful of years before I-15 came through and the, the federal government forcefully bought their land and, and kicked them off that land so that they moved into Pleasant Grove, Utah. I think it would have been really cool to grow up on this place that they called Weedy Acres that grew nothing but weeds. Um, I think it would have been really neat as a kid to be able to go and visit that place. But I never got that chance. In fact, my mom was very young when, when Weedy Acres ceased to exist. But anyways, now on to this um, in-their-own-words story called A Pig Story at Weedy Acres. When my eldest daughter, Sharon Ann, was 10 years old, we had a sow pig with little ones. When my wife, Thelma, kicked a little pig that was slow getting into the pen, and it squealed, Oink! That mother pig went plumb berserk, and, I, and was going to chow on any human being that she could see. Thelma barely made it into the chicken coop of white leghorns and slammed the door shut and the irate sow kept hitting the door with her nose and screaming like a wounded mallard duck. Then she started circling that chicken coop and trying to find a way in. As she made the second circle and was on the backside, I told Sharon to run to the house and get all the kids in and keep them there. So Sharon flew to her task, and all the kids got in and slammed the door shut. But the old mad sow saw that happening and headed to the back of the house. Just then, the cleaner's truck with our clothes pulled up. I hollered, There's a mad sow coming on your side. Better get in your truck. He hollered, Oh, I know all about pigs. I was raised with pigs. Well, when he saw that irate porker, he quickly changed his plan and ran and jumped on top of his truck, and the sow almost got him. He hollered, I'll bring your clothes tomorrow. Next day, 
that sow was hauled to the butchers. <laughs> so there's a, an in their own words written by my grandfather, Clyde Taylor Higginson. I sure miss that guy, but I'm really grateful that he took the time to write several stories of funny and meaningful instances in his life. If you also have a story uh, written by someone who has gone on before you, a parent, a grandparent, a great-grandparent who wrote something entertaining, something meaningful, and would like to have that read in one of these um, sections of the podcast that we call In Their Own Words in the Journey Through Life podcast, you can also send that to me through the same channels that you would if you would like to have a conversation with me. You can email it to the JTL podcast at gmail.com or you can go to jtlpod.com and just submit it through there. Anyways, this was a enjoyable episode. I hope you enjoyed it and looking forward to getting the next one out there. Another ordinary person with extraordinary stories. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.